Thank you for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson, produced by Surefire Local. Over 50,000 people have listened to Mark's podcast series specifically for home improvement businesses. You can subscribe to this podcast on any mobile phone using iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Mark Richardson, and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that's designed to give you an opportunity to really reflect and think about your business, not just do your business. What I try to do is I take different topics, topics that I just see, quite frankly, are really relevant, relevant to your health, relevant to your success of your business. And I really am intending more than anything to help you, you know, just really take a moment and think about these things, but more importantly, question and really see how you measure up to some of the thoughts, not only that I'm sharing, but also some of the industry kind of gurus and thought leaders that I'm interviewing. This podcast series is produced by Surefire Local, as well as supported by the National Association of the Modeling Industry, a leading organization that's really designed to be the glue that holds together, I think, many of the remodelers, as well as Professional Remodeler Magazine, which oftentimes is really a great, great source for those insights that really will help you really improve your business. So today I want to talk about a topic that really also relates a little bit more directly to my interview and guest at the second half of this podcast. I want to talk about the subject of a world-class client experience. You know, I think many people got into this remodeling business in large part because they had a real interest to build stuff. They had a real interest to get out and design something, a real interest to, quite frankly, just find a business that was very, very diverse and not something that you would be bored with. And as a result of that, that motivation, whatever it happens to be, uh, really, I think, drove you into the business. And you tend to, I think, oftentimes focus on your passion, not necessarily what is some of the keys to success in the business. You know, many years ago, I remember thinking about, you know, what are some of the keys to successful business? And a big, big part of it is really creating, I think, that delighting client and that that, uh, raving fan within your business. And once you create, I think, a core kind of client base, What you're doing at that point is you're kind of deputizing them. You're deputizing them to get out and, quite frankly, not only share with the world, certainly post reviews for you, but really be kind of that light that helps, I think, create you more as a magnet for people to come to you as opposed to you chasing after them. Now, so today I want to talk about this whole subject of client experience, and I want to share some stories, I think, that really are relevant. I remember about 30 years ago, I was actually sitting at my desk and I was thinking about, you know, different kinds of things. And I said, you know, I want to spend some time, you know, that day really reviewing some of the client letters that came in about what we were experiencing within our business. And I happened to have, you know, about eight or 10 client letters that were sitting on my desk that I actually hadn't necessarily read yet. And like everybody, I think clients, whether they're sending emails or doing reviews or in the old days they were sending letters, you know, everybody gets a few of those. But I think the question becomes when you really review and you really study those letters, what is it the client is really saying about you? 
Now, the natural tendency, I think, is that you think what you're doing for a client is building a project. You're creating products within their home. But the reality is the judge and the jury of what you do is not about the product. It's about the experience. And I think this was really highlighted for me in sitting down and reviewing some of those letters. I remember in one of the letters they talked about, for example, uh, in the course of the activities around their house, their dog had gotten out of the fence. And the carpenter and even, in fact, the subcontractor went around the neighborhood, driving around looking for this little dog, which happened to be, you know, certainly a really, really key part of this client's life. You know, and what the client wrote about is more that experience, not about the project, not about the insulating value of the windows, not about the beauty of the cabinets, but she talked about that experience of bringing it, going out, taking the time, and bringing her pet home. Another example was a client who was a single mom who had two little kids. She had to get off to daycare to go to work, and it happened to be a snowstorm. And the carpenter and the helper in this case, they actually spent about an hour and a half digging the car out so that they were, the mom could to take their kids to daycare so she could go to work. Again, it was about the experience. And one that I'll never forget, also a little bit of a pet story, is I remember one client talking about in the beginning that their dog was depressed. And there was, he was depressed because he didn't have anyone to have lunch with every day that when Jim the carpenter was there uh, during the project. So she was kind of sad that the project was over. Now, needless to say, most clients are pretty happy when the client's over, uh, project's over. So this is a little unusual, but the point is less about the timing of the project and the more about it's about the experience. So later in this conversation, David Lutberger, when I do the interview, is actually going to be talking about you know, how to have really the best kind of client experience and what you can do to kind of be more proactive with that. In my book, uh, Fit to Grow, I have 12 business themes. And one of them is very much about that. It's that business is about the experience, not about the product. Now, the tricky thing, as I said before, the reason that most people get into this business, whether they're you or they're your employees, is not necessarily to be out there creating client experiences. They're about, again, either making the money or producing good projects or doing something that's interesting in terms of design. So if you want to start to uh, see a shift and really make this more of a priority, I think, within the business, It really starts, I think, with you. And I would start, quite frankly, trying to quantify the value, the value of a client. Uh, One of my friends actually did a study on this, and he went back uh, to uh, clients, three clients that collectively added up to about $50,000 in revenue that he had produced work for uh, three years before. And he actually created kind of a family tree of those three clients. And those three clients, obviously, in some cases, they did some additional work. In other cases, they referred. In some cases, the, a referral went to another referral who happened to be kind of a goldmine of potential clients and projects. The long and the short of it is those three clients, over the course of a three-year period of time, when you looked at it kind of like a family tree, resulted in four to $500,000 in business for him. So for those that are in this 
for the business, for the economics, for the ROI, so to speak. There's a huge ROI if you put the right attention on the client itself and the client base and the client experience and memory, and you try to mine that over a period of time. I think it can be some of the least expensive marketing that you're able to do. So how do you start to see the shift? Most of your companies, you're so running so fast and furious about doing projects, scheduling projects, ordering materials, closing deals, you're doing all that. You're not necessarily taking the time. So the first thing I would do is I would start to really spend some time on the culture itself. And the culture itself is what are some of those core values? Some of those core values that you certainly have as it relates to client experience. But how do you start to articulate that? What are some of those beliefs? Because it all starts, I think, with having the right mindset. And when you have the right client-centric mindset or your organization can almost be contagious and your people can be deputized to be able to think this way, then I think you're going to see the results. So after you've established, I think, some of those, you need to not keep it a secret. You need to start talking about it. You need to integrate it into your client or your employee newsletters. You need to start to do some trainings on what these different beliefs and core values are. And after you have them, I think, for example, you might want to have even some discussion groups. So for example, you might want to have a group of folks together, whether they're production or whether they're sales or whether they're leadership, and have a discussion. Ask the question, what do you think is the value of a client? And let them try to articulate it, both in terms of kind of the financial sides of it, but also in terms of the emotional or sustainability side of the value of a client and how it really makes them feel. Another discussion topic might be exceeding expectations. You know, that's another, I think, theme within my book that I really, really push, that it's not only important to exceed the expectations, But you have to, if you're going to exceed it, you got to set the right expectation in the first place to be able to beat it. But at the end of the day, people are going to judge you more by exceeding the expectations or or hitting what you promised or exceeding what you promised than necessarily just doing what you agreed to do. Another topic might be how do we make this client experience more memorable? You know, maybe get into sharing some experiences about making it memorable. But the point of all this is simply don't keep it a secret. Don't just assume because you've sent out a memo that all of a sudden we want to care about the client experience. Actually show either metaphors or examples or even other business models that really uh, illustrate this, and I think that you're going to see some good returns. I think another element is once you've created the client, I think one of the Big mistakes I see with remodelers out there today, especially smaller remodelers, is that they tend to make the client a stranger. And what I mean by that is they stop keeping in touch. And when I say stop keeping in touch, I'm not saying about sending out a promotion or sending out a newsletter. That's all nice little touch points. But the real keeping in touch is, I think, more on the high touch or the personal side of the relationship. You know, I know years ago, I studied this subject fairly carefully and actually said, you know, the ROI on a past client or past relationship or even a prospect that never proceeded, if you could get them to either do something or refer you to do something, the cost of creating that business was almost nothing. 
So I started a little system even for myself at the time. This was 30, 40 years ago. That was what I called my call a day. And the call a day was like a one a day vitamin. And on the top of my calendar every day in red, I had the name of a client, a past client, a past prospect that I wanted simply just to call them up, let them know that I was in the neighborhood or I was thinking about them. And if I could ever help them, I'd be glad to do that. Well, that really resulted over the years in literally millions and millions of dollars of business as a result of that simple little exercise. The point, though, is not necessarily you, you need to do uh, calls a day or you need to do some of these very specific tasks. The point is it's not complicated if you want to really have a world-class client experience, if you want to stay in touch, if you want to be memorable, if you want to understand, I think, the value of the client. So. Coming up in our second half of our podcast today, I'm going to have a great interview, a great interview with David Lutberger, who wrote uh, the book, The Emotional Homeowner. And he can really drill into, I think, some of the really, not only the techniques, but some of the thinking behind, I think, this subject. And I hope you really enjoy that. So again, I want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast series. You know, this is all about, I think, taking your business to the next level. And again, Special thanks to Neri, Surefire, as well as my friends at Professional Magazine, Professional Remodeler Magazine as well. Take care. I want to thank everybody for listening to Remodeling Mastery, but just as much I want to thank those that support this particular series. Now, first and foremost, I want to encourage you not just to listen, but to subscribe. And for those people that subscribe to this podcast or actually reach out to my producers, Surefire, a leading digital marketing organization, you'll actually receive a copy of one of my books that will help you take your business to the next level. This podcast series is actually supported by Professional Remodeler. Professional Remodeler is committed to help you understand and crack the code on your business. So I encourage you to try to Spend the time reading the magazine and reach out to them and be a little bit more of a voice in the industry. I also encourage you to get involved, get engaged. The National Association of Remodeling Industry, NERI, is a wonderful organization that I've been involved with with most of my career and actually had so many opportunities as a result of that. And lastly, certainly reach out to my friends at Surefire Local that'll be able to help you with your business. Welcome back to Remodeling Mastery. I'm your host, Mark Richardson. And as we always do, we have a segment where I do an interview, an interview of a thought leader, an interview of an individual who is either talking about kind of our topic or our theme for the day, which is creating clients for life, or someone who just has a lot of experience that you can really leverage if you want to take your game kind of to the next level. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm very pleased to kind of bring on and chat with an old friend, a friend I've known, David Lutberger, for uh, the last, roughly the last 30 years. And yeah. David is uh, uh, kind of a re- recovering remodeler, like uh, uh, I think some out there. And what happens oftentimes is when you kind of get the, the, the calluses and the bruises and you say, you know, what else can I do for this industry? David is, you know, has written about uh, some topics on creating kind of raving fans and clients, as well as uh, doing a lot of speaking and training on this subject. So, uh, David, why don't, before we 
kind of get into the real meat here. Why don't you share a little bit your background and your, your story? Terrific. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak with you today. So I'm a former remodeling contractor, uh, was a home builder in Denver, moved to the Washington, D.C. area in the late 80s, worked primarily in Arlington, Virginia, doing custom remodeling, doing design-build remodeling, and uh, really understood that we not only sold a project, but we sold an experience. And should I dovetail here into uh, you know, how I was introduced to the Client for Life idea? Absolutely. I mean, most remodelers out there, home improvement, I think they very much look at what they do as certainly helping and being kind of a doctor for clients, but, but they oftentimes think of what they do as create projects, not necessarily experiences. And, and, and I'm mean, the shift here is, you know, working back in the uh, early 2000s, and does Remodelers Guild ring a bell, Mark? Absolutely. Yeah, so we were attempting to show contractors how to make their company a saleable asset and met with a banker at one point who was kind of acting as an advisor. And he said quite bluntly, he said, you know, we wouldn't finance the sale of a remodeling company. And the question is why? I mean, it's homes are aging. They need work. It's a community-based business. This work will never be outsourced. It's a, you know, shelter. It's a fundamental need. And he said, unfortunately, uh, every year you start over, meaning if you did a kitchen, bathroom, master bath, or remodel, people don't call you the next year saying, let's do another one. Traditionally, five to seven years between major projects. And then he said, number two, perhaps as challenging is your subject to the whims of the economy. And you don't control that. He said, economically, you know, you're in a market that can include risk. So we listened to that, but he looked at one other element of the program, and this was this client for life, which is we have relationships that really no other service provider has. If you're involved with plans development, selections, moving into construction, or even just in construction, we're in relationship with people anywhere from three to over 12 months. And we are literally working in their home around their family. And so the relationships we have with people are just sincere and fundamental. And so this focus is when we finish a project, how do we maximize and extend that relationship? Let me, let me interrupt just for a second, David, because I, I do want to add kind of some color to what you're saying because it is really important and that is you know I think 20 years ago you know people thought of their remodeler in many ways they like their family doctor however today more than ever you know homeowners today look at what they do in their home more as a transaction than necessarily a relationship and I actually was working with a working with a remodeling group who did small projects and we went back and we studied and we looked at 18 months period of time and I asked them go back and look at those projects that had done one project in the last 18 months and how many moved to two and then I also asked them go back and look at the projects that you had two projects with 
and how many of them moved to three. And what was fascinating with the results, and really quite surprising, only 18% of the people moved from one to two, but 72% moved from two to three. Wow. It, it truly proves out this notion that it's not just about saying you want a client. It's more about making sure that you're doing multiple projects to the point that they come back for number three, number four, number five. And then once you have them at that point, they really are clients, not necessarily transactions. But go ahead, David. I interrupted you. I just wanted to add some little bit of metrics and perspective to what you're saying. Well, it's, the reality is we have a family doctor. You know, we have a family dentist. And because of that relationship, we go back. And as I looked in the industry, I'm saying, why aren't we doing visits? It, meaning that I'll visit my doctor once a year for an annual physical. I'll go to my dentist, you know, twice a year for the annual dental checkup. I'll even take my car, you know, every 15 to 30,000 miles for the checkup. And I'll ask contractors, who is doing the annual checkup on your client's homes? And the answer is the homeowner is. And the reality is they're not qualified to do that. And if we've done a major project for a homeowner, we probably know more about that house than they do. And we're in a, a very well positioned to basically say, let me come back on an annual basis, give you a list of recommendations to make sure your home is taken care of. And this dovetails directly into what you just said, Mark, which is through that engagement, through meaningful engagement, um, they don't need to call anybody else for that third visit, that fourth visit, um, because the relationship is present. And the example I like to use is, um, do you have a car mechanic you use, Mark, that you go to regularly in Northern Virginia? Absolutely. Is he the cheapest? Uh, I, I, first of all, I don't know, but I'm sure he's probably not because he is, uh, you know, an expert in, in what I care about, which is my car. And you trust him? Absolutely. And this, we're going to do the same thing, which is let's not stop after we finish the big project. But because of this relationship, let's maintain this engagement, help people take care of frequently their biggest investment. And just as people have a, a, an identified doctor, dentist, or even car mechanic, can we become you know, that advisor assisting them because we're the most qualified to do that and to really extend that relationship because after the second or third visit, people won't call anybody else. It's not price-driven. It's trust-driven. It's experience-driven. And so, I, li so I David, like saying... You, you obviously talk to, you see a lot of remodelers, and what's interesting about what you're saying is it's so obvious and, and quite frankly, so simple, whether you're looking at it through the metaphor that you're speaking of or whether you're looking at it literally, I've got a real-life client on the hook here. Why do I let go of it? Yeah. What, what kind of mistakes do you see that contractors make uh, as, it, as it relates to not necessarily having that client for life or that opportunity to come back and have a deeper uh, relationship? It's a great question, and you know, I get to do some public presentations with what I do now, 
And I literally, in groups, you know, 30, 40, 50 people, I'll ask people, what do you do during your warranty period, you know, for the 12 months after a job is completed? And one person might say, you know, I'll send out an email. Uh, Another person will say, well, they know they can call me if there's an issue. And the bravest in the room basically said, I cross my fingers and hope nobody calls. Right. Because so I want to amend looking that. Looking at it like an expense, not necessarily. Like, like it's a negative. Exactly. And so and not part an of this is the mistake people made is we have this relationship. So when a project is done, think about introducing uh, a, a warranty visit. I've always recommended going back at 90 days and going back at just before a year. You're invited back into the house. You're invited. And here is your past client talking with you. You're looking at the work been done. And oftentimes that walkthrough, it takes 10 minutes. You know, it doesn't take long. But what we discovered, and I did this with a contractor in Boulder, Colorado, that one in four visits, 25% people said, David, as long as you're here, because you created an opportunity for that conversation to take place. So to me, a big mistake is not maximizing that warranty follow-up and being invited, being invited back into your clients' homes for a conversation about what they would like to do and what they're thinking about. You know, what's interesting with what you're saying too, David, is that today more than ever we're seeing some softening in terms of kind of the marketplace and we're seeing lead flow drop down a bit and now all of a sudden people are getting a little bit more desperate with the leads that they have where what you're describing, one out of four, that you just go out and visit in a warranty type of arrangement that has something else, you know, that's pretty much a free lead. And I would argue your conversion rate on that lead is probably many, many times what it is on more of a, uh, a cold type of lead. Well, and, and what we've done is after the warranty visits, I've said to people, you've made a major investment in your home, I'm going to come out and do a simple little evaluation. It takes 30 to 45 minutes. I'm going to give you a list of recommendations to help you take care of your home. And, you know, people say yes. And in saying that, one of the questions is not only review the present house systems, but we've got the big question, which is if cost wasn't an issue, and it always is, but if it wasn't an issue, you know, what else would you like to do? And remember, you have a relationship, and this is a very informal meeting. You're just speaking casually. You know, we discovered that 80% of clients, if they were staying in their home, were thinking about the next project. They may not have the money. You know, they may not want to do it yet, but they are already thinking about what they want to do next. So that becomes part of this conversation. And in this simple warranty visit, there is some service work that comes up. You know, there is some some follow-up things, but again, with a contractor in Boulder, we set up a referral list because oftentimes we could refer this out to very qualified people. But we also left with their wish list. And that dovetails back into your comment about, you know, that third visit, that fourth visit. Is we know and, you know, as you're speaking about this, David, you know, the image that also comes to my mind is, 
you know, there's kind of a financial planning kind of process and structure to it that, you know, this becomes more of a 10, 20-year kind of financial plan that they're going to be doing different things over a period of time that either wear out are going to be required to do or even some of the discretionary things that they need to budget for because oftentimes the biggest objection is that it costs too much or they haven't, you know, created the right level of, of budget for projects. You just nailed it because if the home is, you know, a certain age, 20, 30, 35 years old, you're not only looking at service work and perhaps repairs, but you're looking at component replacement, roof, siding, exterior paint. You're looking at energy efficiency. You know, if the heating or cooling bill is especially high or there are cold spots in the house, you're looking at aging in place. And you are in, as their advisor, a wonderful position to comment and develop. Let's say it's even a three- to five-year plan because these improvements not only improve the quality of life, but they make economic sense. It's improving the value of the property. That's our job, which is let's make sure that what you invest in your home, as you just said, it's an economic investment. Let's make sure it makes sense. You know, and I think to your point, too, the more that you can draw parallels in other aspects of your life, whether it's your vehicle or whether it's a medical thing or whether it is, you know, how you're investing in, you know, your retirement plan, the more that you can kind of think about your relationship with a client that's more analogous to that, it, all of a sudden this makes total sense. But you know, you're going to have to educate the homeowner in how to think this way just as much as educating the remodeler. How do you go about kind of changing the, the homeowner's thinking to think of you more like a doctor or more like a trusted advisor or mechanic rather than as a transaction remodeler? Terrific, and great question again. So remember, in these cases, we've already done work for the homeowner. We've done a project and so this is following up to engage them in a meaningful fashion. And you have a trained eye. Contractors have a trained eye in regards to seeing potential damage, seeing you know, older double-hung windows, an aging roof, a uh, 20-year-old you know, furnace system. And my job, because again, if I really work with my client as an advisor, the simple evaluation you know, helps you understand the age of some of these systems, and you can make recommendations. And it's what a good mechanic does. You know, if you've got a bad set of tires and you, know, you met with them last spring, they're going to say, Mark, I'm going to probably tell you, you should be getting some new tires before next winter. All right? There's an aging factor taking place here, and we can do the exact same thing, which is, look, we've been in your home. You've got some older windows. Let's look at your heating and cooling bill. I may have some recommendations. Also, your roof over 20 years old. Would it be a benefit if I referred my roofer, had him come by so he could review potential options with you? And in every case, your clients will be saying, yeah, that makes sense, because you're giving them direction. You're helping them prioritize what needs to be done. And it can literally be a three, five, seven-year plan but they're working with you because it's not transactional due to the trust, just like you have with your mechanic, Mark, that it truly is, let's talk about this, 
help me understand what your concerns are. Here are my questions. Here are the questions I want to review with you because I know these can be potential problem areas. And, you know, David, as you're talking about this, I think another way for our listeners to think about this, you know, one of the goals, and certainly I write quite a bit about this in terms of business fitness, is that you want to have businesses that are predictable, businesses that are sustainable, businesses that have consistent profit year after year. And the challenge, if you're kind of just reacting to the marketplace, reacting to the opportunities, waiting kind of for the phone to ring, you know, it's very hard to create sustainability and to create that kind of regularity and profitability. And I think what you're describing, if you can integrate this kind of thinking into your business, uh, in many ways you're just creating a more healthy and sustainable and a growing business. Can I give you the uh, snapshot of a very effective proactive strategy around this? Absolutely. So you've got past clients, jobs are finishing, you're introducing the proactive warranty. Let's say that you do two of these warranty visits uh, a month. So 25 projects, you're doing 25 in a year, two a month. Now, if we do these visits, we're developing a plan with our clients. Um, let's look at that plan, potentially from a revenue perspective. You've got maintenance and repairs that will be present. You've got component complace, uh, replacement. You've got potential energy efficiency upgrades, aging in place, and remodeling. Now, if we look at those different revenue sources, and project over 10 years. Again, service and maintenance, component replacement, energy efficiency, aging in place, and remodeling over 10 years. Can I say that, loosely speaking, there could potentially be $100,000 in revenue if we include easily. the remodeling over that 10-year period? Oh, absolutely, easily, especially the discretionary things. And, you know, could be a lot more than that. And, again, as one lump, People might not be appreciating the level of investment, but they're going to spend it anyway year after year. The question is just going to be who they're going to be spending it with and yes. whether it's a planned spend or a reactive spend. Well, and so I, I circle back to my example. So if you did this 25 times a year, so just twice a month, you're potentially adding $2.5 in revenue. And next year, you're going to do another 25. The following year, another 25. So imagine having 100 of these clients within your pipeline over a four-year period. That's the recurring revenue. That's some of the diversification you just mentioned. And I think back in 2008, 2009, in the, in the real downturn, people put remodeling projects on hold, but they still did care and repair projects. They needed to. People maybe didn't buy a new car, but they repaired their car. They still went to the dentist because it was required. And so it's no different with our clients. They may, in some financial uncertainty, remove the bigger projects, but they'll continue to do these other requirements because it's necessary. That's recurring revenue. Well, David, let's. I appreciate you... Uh taking the time to come out and, and kind of share some of these insights. And I think your, 
kind of allowing, I think, folks to look at the home as more of a predictable revenue source as opposed to a reactionary revenue source. Talk to us a little bit. If I want to learn more, get a little bit more information uh, on uh, on kind of what you do and some of the programs, that kind of thing, how, what's the best way for me to go about doing that? I appreciate that. So I can guide people through. So I've done this with companies. And so you could go to my website, remodelforce.com, or just contact me, David, at remodelforce.com. I can review the questions you have specifically and review how to implement something like this because it, 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 that implementation is where the rubber hits the road. Everybody understands the concept, but how is it implemented in what steps? Excellent. So again, thank you, David, and thank all of our listeners. Uh, I encourage you not just listen to this podcast series, but to subscribe to it. Also, special thanks to our supporters and sponsors. Uh, Professional Remodeler, one of the leading kind of resources for uh, remodeling information through their magazines and their websites, as well as NARI, the National Association of the Remodeling Industry. Certainly a wonderful community that you can kind of be part of something that's much, much bigger than just you. And then, of course, my, my uh, producer for this show is Surefire Local, leading digital marketing folks. So take care, everyone, and look forward to speaking to you again soon. If you liked what you've heard, take a moment to subscribe to Remodeling Mastery on your phone using your favorite podcast app. It's available in all the major apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Go ahead and post in the comments what you learned and any questions you have for Mark, and he may answer them on an upcoming episode. Thank you again for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson.